It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia. Over the last nine months, you all have been so privy to one of the darkest moments of my life. It's difficult to second-guess this. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. On this vote, the yeas are 258. The nays are 169, present one. The motion is adopted. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Brittany Griner is almost home. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with a Russian prisoner swap in the bag. The Biden administration balances joy over an American freed from prison along with questions about its national security implications. We talk with Tom Firestone, former assistant U.S. attorney who practiced law in Moscow and now represents other Americans detained in Russia. His inside view of the process coming up. Pentagon funding passes the House after a military vaccine mandate is stripped. What does President Biden do when it reaches its desk? His desk, assuming it does, we're joined by Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick on negotiations on Capitol Hill on how to fund the government. Analysis on all these stories from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano here for the hour. No one saw that one coming. The first indications that something was happening at the White House came in the 6 a.m. hour as reporters were summoned about an hour later, knowing at that point that the president was set to announce something big. And they learned shortly after that uh, Brittany Griner was coming home. They gathered in the Roosevelt Room. The president entered along with the vice president and Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle. Listen. Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, uh, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and, uh, and she should have been there all along. It was a bit of a celebration. Sherelle spoke emotionally about it. By the way, incredibly composed in this moment, in this room full of reporters. But as much as that was the case, the president also knew the questions were coming. Mike Reiner was traded for a Russian arms dealer, Victor Boot, known as the Merchant of Death, which was already being criticized. And what about Paul Whelan, the man who served as a U.S. Marine? By the way, there are no former Marines. Accused by the Russians of spying, uh, this he was detained in 2018, left behind. Again, here's President Biden. We've not forgotten about Paul Whelan, who's been unjustly detained in Russia for years. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. We brought home Trevor Reed when we had a chance early this year. 
Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case differently than Brittany's. And while we have not yet succeeded in securing Paul's release, we are not giving up. And so it's complicated. Jay Johnson, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, talked about it today on Bloomberg. He also served as General Counsel of the Pentagon, so he's got a pretty unique understanding of this. He talked with David Weston on Balance of Power. Listen. Should we hold against her the fact that the person on the other side of the equation was rightfully convicted for something very dangerous? I say no. And there are many considerations, foreign policy considerations, national security considerations. It's a multidimensional context so it's difficult to second-guess this. It's complicated. And we had another voice with a, new, a unique view. Tom Firestone is a former assistant U.S. attorney, practiced law in Moscow, and helps to represent other Americans detained in Russia, now partner at Struk and Struk and Levan. Tom, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thank you very much for having me. So an American basketball star for a notorious arms dealer. How do you qualify this swap? Well, this was basically a hostage exchange. I mean, you can't look at it as, is this a fair trade the way you would look at a you know, professional sports trade or something mm-hmm. like that. It was unequal bargaining. Um, we very, very much wanted to get Brittany Griner out. There was a lot of pressure on the administration to do that and a lot of compassion and concern for her well-being. The Russians could <laughs> were not under, the Russian government was not under equivalent pressure. So they were able to play hardball and they got Victor Boot out. But thank God mm-hmm. Brittany Griner is out and is safe. The White House says there was no mediation involved, which I thought was really interesting. Just the U.S. and Russia here. What what does that tell you about the nature of this deal, knowing that we're, we're in a proxy war with Russia and Ukraine? Well, we're in a obviously an extremely serious conflict. Relations probably have never been worse between the United States and Russia, but it shows that even in that situation, there are some areas of common interest where we can negotiate exchanges. Let's not forget the um, deal involving Trevor Reed and Konstantin Yaroshenko was also done against the backdrop of the Ukraine war. So it shows that diplomats are continuing to work on certain specific interests, certain specific issues where there is a mutual interest. So that is encouraging. So with that said, does this help or hurt our chances of getting a deal for Paul Whelan? It's hard to say because the two uh, prizes that the Russians wanted by all accounts were really Konstantin Yaroshenko and Viktor Boot, and those have now they have both now been sent back to Russia. Right. So we have less to offer at this point. However, there are other Russians in federal facilities, in federal prisons in the United States, who may be of interest to the Russians. So um, I know the administration is very focused on getting Wheelan back. They've mentioned that a lot. I think they're doing everything they can. And President Biden expressed his, you know, regret that they weren't able to get him in this um, in this exchange. There are also other Americans there who we need to get back. Um, I am involved in the representation of Mark Fogel, a 61-year-old yeah. school teacher who got 14 years for uh, 17 grams of medical cannabis, um, who's also in a penal colony right now. So there are a lot of other Americans who should not be forgotten. And I think everyone appreciated uh, Brittany Griner's wife mentioning them during her Absolutely. statement at the press conference today. Well, I can't imagine how Mark Fogel's family feels right now. Have you spoken with them? Um, I have. I'm in t- regular touch with them, and I think they feel that um, I think they're encouraged. They're happy uh-huh. for 
Brittany Griner's family. They're encouraged that this may be an indication uh, that um, channels of negotiation remain open. However, they are obviously disappointed that Mark has not been brought back yet and are very hope, very much hoping that the administration is going to apply the same efforts that they applied to um, the Griner and Reed cases to get him back as well. Tom, must it always be a prisoner swap? Is there nothing else that we have to offer uh, to secure a deal like this? I think there are other things that we have to offer. I mean, there are all sorts of issues between the United States and Russia. There are various security issues. Um, so it does not have to be a prisoner swap. I don't know what those other issues are. Those are parts. Of, those are some of the things that are cloaked in secrecy. But there can be other concessions. And we don't know. Maybe this was just the, the beginning. Uh, this is the tip of the iceberg right. and is part of a bigger uh, agreement that we're not privy to yet. As we mentioned, you practice law. You worked as a lawyer in Moscow. Bring us inside a little bit here to the extent that you could imagine. I know you're not directly involved in the Griner deal, and we should make that clear to our listeners. But first of all, uh, talk to me about her legal representation. What kind of a world are they in here while that deal is taking place? Are they involved in it or are they hearing about it as it happens? I, it could be either way. You'd have to talk to them. I mean, yeah. she had very good lawyers. Um, I know the firm that represented her. They did the best they could with the in-court proceedings. And, and do you think they got- left with her? Oh, I don't think they left with her. No, I've no, there's no reason to believe they left with her. I think they did their job as lawyers, and they'll continue to practice law in Russia for huh. all I know. Okay, interesting. Tell me about the actual transfer then. You're serving time as an American in a Russian penal colony. Someone comes to your cell and tells you to come with them? I don't know that it's quite like that. I imagine she was given some advance notification. If she she was not in Moscow at the time mm-hmm. that uh, you know she'd already been sent to her um, her facility outside of Moscow, so I imagine they came to her shortly beforehand. They brought her to Moscow. They probably told her what was going on. She, you know, minimal amount of time before, because again, this is common with any kind of prisoner transfer, not just in a high profile case like this. You can't have the uh, prison authorities have to be very careful about what information they reveal about prisoner movements. So I imagine she was told a very, very short time before she was brought out of the facility to Moscow, and then she was probably taken very quickly to a uh, plane to get her out of there. And then there's a meeting somewhere in a room at an airport. Um, apparently so. I, I obviously was not involved in it. According to some accounts, the exchange was actually done in the UAE. Uh-huh. So yes, it right. could be that both of them were brought there and there was uh, there was an exchange. They were probably, <laughs> obviously both would have been brought with a lot of security around them. Absolutely. And the security, their security turned them over, uh, turned Ms. Greiner over to our um, people and vice versa. And that's uh, government so or military security, not her own private security that oh, she no, would have to Oh, no, of course, hire. that would be, no, of course, that would be, because she's in Russian custody, so it'd have to be Russian security personnel that brought her all the way to the point of transfer, yep. and then she would be delivered over to U.S. custody. Wow. Uh, I'm not trying to be too cute here, but does she get her belongings back? Um, she should get her belongings back, absolutely. Um, she should get, I don't know what she had on her when she was detained. I think she just had one or two suitcases, but she yeah, should right. absolutely get that back, um, and that should go with her. So what's the process, then, uh, for someone who's gone through this? They come back to the United States, uh, and I'm sure that there's actually a very difficult road ahead for them. 
I think so. I, you know, once she gets back here, she's really outside of the world that I have expertise in the Russian criminal justice system. Yeah. It'll really be up to her family and the WNBA. I think she's got a lot of support here. And I think that from what I've been able to tell the WNBA has said they're going to do everything they can to reintegrate her into the sport and to make her life here better. I imagine having been detained for nine months, she's not had the opportunity to train and to keep mm -hmm. herself in shape the way she would ordinarily. So I, I have no idea, but I imagine that'll take some time yeah. to get back in shape. And hopefully she'll be able to resume her position and play again in uh, um, for the Phoenix team. I can't imagine the emotional journey that somebody goes through after that. Uh, Tom, when there is a negotiated settlement to the war in Ukraine, is that a vehicle for more releases? I would certainly hope so, but I hope, at the same time, I hope we're not waiting for that because yeah. no one knows when that's going to happen. But when relations improve, and we saw this in detente, we saw this in the late, uh, you know, detente in the 70s, we saw this in the Gorbachev era in the late 80s, when relations improve against that backdrop, it's much easier to get people out. Then the focus was not so much on uh, Americans, it was on so-called refuseniks or dissidents who couldn't get out. But obviously, when the relationship improves, yeah. there's a lot more on the table, and I, w I certainly, I, uh, first, I hope that the relationship improves as soon as possible, and I certainly hope, as part of that, that other Americans who are detained um, in Russia get out. Well, we'd love to stay in touch with you along the way. Really appreciate your insights and your expertise. Tom Firestone, former assistant U.S. attorney, spent some time in Moscow, as you can tell now, a partner at Struk and Struk and Lavin. Tom, thanks so much for being with us on Bloomberg. My pleasure. The reports say, by the way, she'll be home late tonight or early tomorrow morning, or at least will arrive late tonight, tomorrow morning. But it must have been something to be on the phone with the president of the United States. The whole thing was really incredible to watch as we assembled our panel for their take on this. The balance of the swap with our signature panel, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors. What do you think about this, uh, Rick? You know, I, I thought Jay Johnson's words were, were pretty interesting. You know, we, a lot of questions about why we would swap an American basketball player for a Russian arms dealer who we know has been tied to the deaths of Americans and could kill more Americans. But Jay Johnson says Brittany Griner should not be penalized for that. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can only uh, come to the table with the cards that you have. And, and obviously, Victor Boot was one of our best cards. And, and I think she was one of our highest priorities. Not that everybody else who isn't incarcerated in Russia who's an American citizen isn't a priority, but there was an enormous amount of pressure. And I think probably uh, we got the deal that there was to get, right? In other words, everything I've heard today from people who have been a lot more focused on it than I have is that there really was an appetite on the Russian side to trade for Paul Whelan or anybody else, uh, mm. but they thought they could get what they wanted uh, with Brittany Griner, maybe one of the reasons why they incarcerated her to begin with. But look, I mean, Victor Boot, he's a bad guy, uh, but he's been out of the game for 15 years, uh, incarcerated in the U.S. penal system. We hope mm -hmm. our rehabilitation efforts have uh, made their impact. I'd really be surprised to see him show up in North Korea getting guns for uh, Russian soldiers. In the he would, huh? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, the critics are certainly coming out of the woodwork, uh, Jeannie, and, and it's not just Marjorie Taylor Greene who called this another reason to impeach Joe Biden. We heard from uh, Representative McCall, the, the, the ranking member, House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, in a statement, I believe that Ms. Griner will be returned home safely. However, trading Victor Boot, a dangerous convicted arms dealer, 
in prison for conspiring to kill Americans will only embolden Vladimir Putin to continue his evil practice of taking innocent Americans hostage for use as political pawns. Is he wrong? You know, we heard it not only from McCall, we also heard it from the president's close friend, Chris Coons, who said, you know, echoed the sentiment, great, she's coming home, but there's a heavy price to pay for that, and that we're encouraging, potentially, hopefully not encouraging others to take prisoners. And the president warned in his statement today, Americans traveling abroad, particularly places like Russia or Iran or Turkey or Syria, that they've got to be incredibly careful. And, you know, this has been the longstanding debate. We do not, famously in this this country negotiate with terrorist groups when they capture Americans right. and several Americans have been beheaded and killed in those circumstances while their counterparts from other countries have been negotiated out. But we are now in a position where you have a president who's negotiating hostages or prisoner releases when they are taken by nation states. And there is a really big question to ask. Is that good policy for the United States? As much as everybody wants these Americans who are unlawfully detained to come home, you also yep. don't want to encourage violence against other Americans abroad. Well, of course, but, you know, there's, there's sometimes a difference between good policy and good politics. Rick, which one is this? Uh, well, uh, I think it's a, a probably a little bit of both. Look, I mean, you're, you're limited by the resources you have, right? I mean, the last thing we want to do is get in a situation where we start incarcerating Russians with the intent of being able to trade them. This escalates, <laughs> yeah. and this is obviously a game that, you know, we're always going to lose because we believe in freedom, right. and countries like Russia are oppressive. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzan are just getting started. We'll reassemble the panel next and talk about some of the contours. What about Paul Whelan, by the way? We'll get into some of this next and reaction as well from the White House to this very criticism. It's the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden says he will continue to pursue the release of Paul Whelan, who was detained four years ago in Russia, now living in a prison colony, as we discussed with Tom Firestone there. And something we heard about this, of course, from President Biden, but later from uh, the White House, we spoke on Bloomberg with John Kirby, a former of course, Admiral, now the spokesperson for the National Security Council uh, at the White House, retired Admiral, I should say, on this whole idea. Well, what are you going to do? Is there something to offer or talks underway? He made clear that talks were active, but was obviously careful to show his cards. Listen. The Russians have not been, again, negotiating in good faith for Mr. Whalen, uh, at least not right now. Uh, we want to get to a point where those negotiations can bear fruit. Uh, so we are going to continue to talk to the Russians uh, about uh, what might make sense, what could be doable, uh, and then see if it's doable on our side as well. So those, those discussions are ongoing. They're very active. But I think it'd probably be best if we don't, uh, we don't discuss all the details in public. David Whelan, not so hopeful. Uh, this is Paul's twin brother and says today he's losing hope in the efforts to ever get 
Paul home, but he's not giving up, just not feeling it today. Here he is. It doesn't really give me a lot of hope um, that there is a likely exchange in Paul's future or his freedom. I think uh, it's, it's disappointing in that sense that we don't really have any clear way to get Paul home. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us. Jeannie, you know, it, a lot of people thought they might be released together, and I think that's why there was an expectation that, you know, if Brittany Griner comes home, Paul Whelan will as well. It's kind of complicating the view and the ability to celebrate Griner's release for some people. Uh, how does the White House manage this when the family is speaking openly about it and you know he was left behind? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you just feel for these families. And, you know, uh, Brittany Griner's wife spoke so beautifully and eloquently today about, you know, not just Brittany, but also the other people detained, including Paul Whelan. You've got to give her so much credit for keeping the focus on them. But the reality is, and we heard the president say it today, the Russians value him differently. He's been accused mm -hmm. of spying. He's been charged with espionage. And the question is, and why his twin brother and family feel so let down and discouraged by everything, is who is left to trade with? They asked for a prisoner that they said was a spy the United States claimed we don't have. Then they asked for somebody incarcerated in Germany. You know, who could you trade for Paul Whelan is the question at this point. But I would just say one thing to keep note of is Putin seems to feel that this gives him some legitimacy on the international stage, and that may be an opening for the U.S. to continue to negotiate with him. You know, it's a, it's a small bit of optimism there, but it does seem like this has given him, you know, something to celebrate, if you can call it that, at a time when he's seen as an international pariah. Yeah, right. Is the White House handling at least the messaging around Paul Whelan properly, Rick? You know, look, I mean, I think he's in the narrative. They're trying to talk about him as a part of this. Um, I think they, right. they, they moved out early. Uh, but you when can't say anything. Announcement came. Well, they, they can say that they're still trying, right? And that they didn't leave him out of the narrative. When Brittany Griner was announced, they said, you know, but we're still working on Paul Whelan. Uh, and I think that's that probably the best they can do. You don't want to get into details of, you know, what would ultimately result in a release and how hard. Um, but look, I've got a lot of faith in the people who spend all their time, you know, trying to get these kinds of problems solved. And, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm also reassured that Paul Whelan, you know, a Marine is a tough guy and that yeah. Marines put out tough guys. And if there's one person uh, that, uh, that you got to sort of put on your shoulders, it's, it's going to be Paul Whelan in the future. And so hopefully, uh, as Jeannie points out, there are other ways, other countries that have vested interests uh, and or prisoners from Russia that uh, maybe could be employed to, to help seek his release. So, yeah. uh, look, I mean, I, I, I trust the government's doing everything they can, and I think they're talking about it, which keeps the pressure on Putin, uh, and uh, and we'll see. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, he, you can't assume Putin is going to act like a rational individual, right? He's only going to act in things that are good for him. There's no impetus on his part to do something that will actually make him appear better in the Western world or garner favor with the United States. It's just amazing. Uh, so let's get into the why here and why now, because this offer, we've talked about it more than once. It's been on the table for a long time. So why did Vladimir Putin finally see, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll send the basketball player home. If you return the merchant of death, as he is called, Victor Boot, Mark Esper talked about this as well today on Balance of Power with David Weston. Listen to his suggestion. We know that Vladimir Putin is running out of men, uh, material, uh, ammunition, and weapons. And if, if somehow Victor Boot has a special skill and the relationships to help get these types of things from uh, other countries, such as North Korea, Iran, elsewhere, then maybe it helps uh, his, uh, his tactical game plan in Ukraine. So 
We don't know. That's what I want to know is why he cut this deal now. Okay, so now we're getting a little deeper, Jeannie, into why people are concerned about national security implications here. Uh, You've got to think that we're watching this guy. We must have a satellite dedicated to him. Uh, What kind of... What kind of liability does this bring to the White House, potentially, if we're talking about him procuring weapons for Vladimir Putin for the war in Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, you heard this from several quarters today. And Mark Esper, you know, just reflected what is the big concern here, in addition to the fact other Americans may be vulnerable, is the fact that why was Putin so focused on getting him out? And it hasn't just been during this war. It's been for a long time. And the suggestion is, of course, that what does Russia need more than anything right now? They need arms. And he, this guy has contacts. They may be a long time ago. He has uh, the means to do this, the, is the concern. And this could be something that Russia Russia could play on, put, could, could, put, could play on. Mm-hmm. We don't know for certain, though, and that's one of the things about this. We don't know a lot about this deal. Another thing we don't know is the role of the UAE, the role of Saudi Arabia. We know that the president of the UAE went to Russia in October, told Putin he would get involved, and that's why this got done today. But we do need to know more and deserve to know more about the role of the UAE and Saudi Arabia in this kind of deal, along with why Putin was so intent on getting him out. Are you worried about this, uh, Rick, or does this sound Hollywood to you? Uh, look, I mean, he's a bad guy. He's going to continue to do bad things. I don't think our justice system is going to rehabilitate him. And yeah. uh, and so, yeah, are there sure. really like I mean, bad guy stores though, where you can go buy weapons? I mean, is it is that a, is that a real uh, promise for Vladimir Putin? Well, look, I mean, if there weren't, then uh, then you wouldn't have uh, uh, somebody named the Merchant of Death banging around. Right. So, yeah. by definition, sure, you can go into the dark corners of the world and find people who will sell you anything and if that includes a bomb or a gun or a tank or a submarine you can get it and this guy was in that business now you know whether or not he's current enough or whether or not vladimir putin really needs his help frankly he's got a state-to-state relationship with iran it's giving him a lot of weaponry right now that are killing a lot of good ukrainians and so uh i wouldn't think a bunch of ak-47s are going to compete with the drones that he's getting from iran and uh so i you know i i think you know Secretary Esper is probably right in that he gives a sort of dark uh, corner of uh, activity to to Putin, but I wouldn't overplay it. I mean, I, the war isn't going to turn on you know Vladimir or Victor Boot. Right. Well, all you need is one story though about an American being killed by some North Korean weapon that's somehow tied to him. Genie, it changes all the politics of this story. That's right. And let's not forget, he was sentenced to 25 years for conspiring to kill Americans and supporting Mm -hmm. terrorism, amongst other things. This is, to Rick's point, a very bad guy. And people should read the book Merchant of Death or see the movie with Nicolas Cage, which granted was fictitious. But it tells you just how deep and dark this was in terms of his deals, which, of course, he says is all wrong and misreported and he did nothing. But the reality is that this was a really, really tough decision for the Biden administration. And the other reality we have to keep in mind is, and you were just talking to Tom Firestone about this, there are many other Americans being held, including, you know, this this teacher that he was talking about held in yeah. Russia, sentenced to 14 years, 61 years old, Mark Fogel. There are others. And the question is, at what point do we stop these negotiations, if ever? Are you only negotiated out if you're famous? Are you only negotiated out if your family is able to get your name in the news? Mark Fogel, largely forgotten to a certain extent amongst well, many others. So lot, no That's been a lot answers. of the criticism. That's exactly. Exactly right. The language that that Jeannie just used uh, is coming from a lot of the critics, Rick. Like, hey, okay, you got the celebrity out. Too bad not everyone's a celebrity. Does that have anything actually to do with the the calculation that Vladimir Putin made? Does he care? 
you know, I, I don't think we do, but I, I definitely think Vladimir Putin, if he believes that he's going to get some kind of lift out of the uh-huh. Western media or out of the Western governments uh, that are really down on him right now and they're, and they're, and they're making that known to him, uh, sure, you know, that extra element of celebrity may, may enter into his thinking. But, but again, I mean, Vladimir Putin, uh, you really have to question uh, what his motivations are for anything, right? And he's, mm-hmm. he's, is he of sound mind? Uh, you know, does he make mistakes ra- or does he make decisions rationally? Uh, you know, you really, you really don't know. And so to, to sort of project into him what you think his rationale for bringing Brittany Griner out right now, he shouldn't have had her to begin with. And, and, and the pressure shouldn't be on the whys, but like the fact yeah. that he did it. And, and that should make him a common criminal in the world. <laughs> Great insights from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano on an important day here for geopolitics. And God knows we are awfully happy to hear that Brittany Griner is going home. Uh, coming up, we're going to go to Capitol Hill, find out today about this new deal on defense spending that removes the COVID vaccine mandate for the military. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the House cleared the Pentagon money today, approving a defense authorization measure, the NDAA you hear us talk about to boost the president's national security spending request by $45 billion. But interesting here, there was, of course, a major caveat for Republicans. It repeals the Pentagon's COVID vaccine mandate, which is not something that the Secretary of Defense wanted. Or I'm not sure how the Pentagon feels about this, but he's obviously speaking for the Defense Department. The House voted 350 to 80. That gets it done. Uh, And as I understand here, this is a deal between the House and the Senate. It's going to pass with bipartisan support in the Senate. So what does the president do about this one? Obviously, he wants the vaccine mandate. The secretary of defense has made that clear. Came up today in the White House press briefing. Here's uh, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. So what we think happened here is uh, Republicans in Congress have decided that they rather uh, f- rather fight against the health and well-being of our troops than protecting them. And we believe that it is a mistake what we saw, uh, what we saw happen on the NDAA as it relates to the vaccine mandate. We're joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government Congress reporter who really specializes in the whole budgeting and appropriations process. These guys are like so deep into it. They call it a props, right, Jack? <laughs> a probe is what probe, I call it. I am not nearly as wonky right. as you are. So um, this is going to pass the Senate, right? This looks very good in the Senate. Um, the comments from the White House were almost a, a little surprising. Obviously, you know that the, they don't want to block their own policy regarding vaccine requirements. Um, but, it, you know, if the White House doesn't threaten a veto explicitly, then something with this level of bipartisan support negotiated in Congress has a ton of momentum. Uh, so it looks good in the Senate. If, if Biden really wanted to try to hit the brakes on it, he would have had to have acted 
early and decisively. They'd need to put out a, a veto threat explicitly, with, which they have not done. And that was uh, the vaccine requirement issue is something that seemed to have been put on the, the trading block, essentially, where Democrats could, uh, they, they didn't want to include that, but maybe they get something else from it. It gets thrown into the bigger pot of issues negotiated. So it seems to be acceptable to many Democrats, at least. So I, it's a done deal then, I guess. I mean, the, the alternative, Jack, and you can explain this to our listeners, would be a continuing resolution that would basically handcuff the Pentagon to the same spending it's already had in the last year and give them very little flexibility for things like Ukraine. Well, the unfortunate thing for the military and for lawmakers is that is still possible. The defense authorization measure sets policies for how the military uh, prioritizes certain purchases, that kind of thing. That's what legally institutes a pay raise for members of of the military. But if they don't then pass a subsequent appropriations measure, that is what actually has the money to fund those. So an authorization measure measure without uh, a subsequent aligned appropriations bill is, uh, I don't know if you could say entirely pointless, but like 95 yeah. percent pointless. Wow. And these policies would not end up being enacted unless they can get that appropriations deal. Well, this is where it gets complicated, obviously. And we've been talking about it with some lawmakers here on the program. You talk about it all day long. I mean, what's what is likely? Do, do they do they get a short term CR? Do they get a year long CR? Is really and is there time for an omnibus? What's the what's reality? There is probably still time for an omnibus. Currently, the funding deadline is December 16th. That's next Friday. There's probably not time for them to do it by then, but there's some discussion about a, a very short-term stopgap measure to bump that back. Uh, I've heard a week long floated, so this could be right up until the Friday before Christmas on the 23rd. Uh, there's some Republicans saying, hey, kick it into January or February when we're going to control the House, and that'll give us more leverage. So there's a debate going on about exactly how long they kick it. Um, it is possible for them to come together and agree to an omnibus government funding bill that would support this authorization bill for defense and other things uh, potentially before Christmas. But when Christmas approaches, that's when the pressure really gets on. And that's, it seems they're both kind of waiting to see if the other side will slip as we get closer and closer to the real deadline. We've spoken before about the Safe Banking Act uh, which has passed the House like 15 times, but never gets across to the Senate and never gets to the president. This would be the legislation that allows uh, cannabis companies to use banking services and, I don't know, maybe even list their stocks, but actually get, you know, to be able to take loans and not do all of their business in cash. Ed Perlmutter, the congressman, has been behind this, and they keep attaching it to the NDAA, and it always gets dropped. And, and Mitch McConnell was taking a victory lap for that one. Here he is on the floor. This NDAA is not getting dragged down by unrelated liberal nonsense. Good, smart policies were kept in, and unrelated nonsense, like easier financing for illegal drugs, was kept out. I'm glad this Democrat-led Congress finally realized that defending America is a basic governing duty. There he is, lighting the fire on the Senate floor. Uh, he indicated as well, though, Jack, that that would be the same argument for overall funding if there is any chance of getting an omnibus. Is this is this safe banking legislation just dead in the water? I don't know if it's entirely dead in the water, because as we've discussed, there's another must pass vehicle. So supporters can try to attach that to an omnibus. 
but if you hear Mitch McConnell say very clearly, I don't want that attached to must-pass legislation, yeah. that's a very, very bad sign. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of negotiating still going on on the appropriations measure to fund the government, but that has to get support from Republican leadership in the Senate. Uh, so it, it may be a matter of how determined McConnell is, but that statement seems to be a, a very, very bad sign for the Safe Banking Act. Is it going to be a working Christmas or what, then? Uh, you know, Richard Shelby, the top Republican negotiator on government funding, has said, yeah, we could be here right around Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve. Uh, again, they kind of treat the Friday before Christmas as the functional deadline because that's when they really passionately want to leave and have their work done. Uh, but, it, they're, you know, they're talking about setting another deadline back very close to that. Uh, and uh, again, the pressure builds as you get close to the holidays. There's some frustration building. And this does seem to be a game of chicken where uh, lawmakers' holiday plans are sort of the the, uh, the thing at threat here. Yeah, this, this, so there's a line about jet fumes, I'm sure, that uh, that we'll be hearing soon. Jack, what else gets done then, if anything, or is the is all the time focused on the the mighty approps for the rest of this calendar year, the rest of this Congress? Um, they can attach things to that appropriations package. That's probably mostly all that's going to happen. Uh, and it's tough to say exactly what gets attached because you know you probably heard the discussions about maybe a child tax credit uh, mm. extension and the R and D tax measures. That has quieted down a bit lately. That kind of gets shuffled into the backroom talks among a few very, very important lawmakers, so it's tough to predict. Um, but really, the last train out of the station is that government funding package. And anything you want to add to that, you, you've got to sort of attach it to that vehicle. So there could be the Safe Banking Act. It's not entirely dead. There could be some tax credit stuff. I'm a little skeptical. Uh, but really, there's going to be one big package coming. And anyone who has a bill they want to get enacted is going to try to attach it to that measure. Great conversation, Jack. Thank you so much. We always get smarter when we speak with Jack Fitzpatrick. No stranger to this broadcast, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter. Something actually, something else happened today on Capitol Hill that you might have heard. It happened in the House. Passing the bill to protect same-sex marriage. That means it goes to the president's desk. We'll talk about it next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. With history made in the House of Representatives today, we bring you to the Speaker's rostrum as Nancy Pelosi presided, holding the gavel there. One of the final acts as the House votes, well, you can listen to it as it happened on this same-sex marriage bill that codifies the protections for same-sex and interracial marriage. Listen. On this vote, the yeas are 258, the nays are 169, present one. The motion is adopted. Very happy about that. When she got emotional as she was uh, reading the tally there. And they held an enrollment ceremony, as they call it after, to sort of formalize the fact that it passed. It's going to the president's desk now. And you know who showed up is Congressman Barney Frank. Here he is. I, uh, I was here for the birth of DOMA. So I am very grateful to be able to be here for the funeral. And it's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a New Orleans moment. We are tooting <laughs> our horns for the funeral, a much happier occasion than the birth. 
We are tooting our horns for the funeral. The former congressman, of course, from Massachusetts, first openly gay member uh, of Congress, with some final thoughts on this from our panel, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, it's an important moment, Jeannie. It's something that actually a lot of people take for granted, uh, but is finally codified into law. That's right. And, you know, to hear Barney Frank back on Capitol Hill after he retired in 2013, you know, and and really, uh, you know, paying tribute to Tammy Baldwin, the first openly gay senator who really pushed this legislation through the Senate. It was quite Mm -hmm. moving. And then, of course, Nancy Pelosi, one of her first acts in Congress had to do with fighting against discrimination of people with HIV, AIDS, gay people. She talked about that in an op-ed she wrote today. And it's her final act, likely, as Speaker of the House. And it you know, really tells you how much is going to change in the next month as we, you know, usher in a new Republican House. Well, you know, we toot our horns here, uh, New Orleans style. We're going to have to put the second line together here as we mark the end of the line for DOMA. Noting that codifying same-sex marriage. Yeah, let's get you right in the French Quarter here. Codifying same-sex marriage is supported by more than 70% of Americans, but a minority oppose it, typically on religious grounds. Is this progress despite Republican opposition, Rick? Sure. Yeah. Ten years ago, you wouldn't even be talking about this as a, uh, a serious opportunity. And so, it, you know, we, we can be also reminded that part of what uh, has led to this moment is the Supreme Court, you know, uh, by many people's estimation, overreaching on the Dodd decision and forcing people to rethink what they thought was established law and all these things. So the codification by Congress adds a, a layer of protection for people, you know, who uh, care about this issue and, and others. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's, it's the child today of a, a long process. Isn't that right? Well, it's history now, Jeannie and Rick Davis, and I appreciate your insights on that. I was called out recently by a fellow journalist on Twitter for not challenging one of our guests who described this issue as fraught. And I didn't that day because it has been fraught for so many. I see that as the father of an LGBTQ child and like you, I'm guessing, someone with a lot of family and friends who are LGBTQ and have had to worry about this until now. And so we salute the progress today in Washington, a place that brings a lot of good news and sometimes a lot of bad news, but we do like to mark this when it happens as we take a little trip down the street here in New Orleans. Let's hear that, Justin. Does that sound good? Thanks for spending time with us today on the fastest hour in politics as we raise our glasses to this one. I'll meet you back here tomorrow with the best panel in the business. And again, if you showed up late, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's called Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.